If you focus on people, 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 your people build the product and that product is what serves the customer and that's the pain in how to change the industry. The pandemic highlighted that these concepts, these ideas, these technologies are helping businesses change. As we keep moving forward and out of this pandemic, it's inspiring to look back at the challenges businesses have been able to overcome. And I'm so excited to share today's interview with you because I truly believe it will blow you away. In today's episode, you're guaranteed to feel inspired by the co-founder and CEO of Fictive, Dave Evans. Joined by our Industry 4.0 Business Development Executive at AWS, Douglas Bellin. You'll learn how Fictive's digital manufacturing ecosystem was able to shift their entire production operations to another location during COVID and only lost three days of production. So how did they do it? Keep listening to find out. Welcome to AWS Industrial Insights. I'm your host, Caroline Lawrence. With each episode, we bring you an inspiring leader with practical advice to help you solve your toughest business challenges. Because we believe that sometimes all it takes is one big idea or one piece of wisdom to change your business forever. So thank you for listening and we hope you enjoy today's show. I want to first kind of rewind back to March. So like kind of bring your brain back to your mindset and what you were thinking during March of 2020, because I know it was crazy for all of us. Um, And that's kind of when I think we all first started to get a taste of this like new normal and how crazy this was going to be. So Dave, I want to know how did you first react when you realized that this pandemic wasn't going to be going away anytime soon? And can you kind of walk me through like what it was like as a CEO to watch this unfold in front of you? Yeah, well, I think actually rather than starting in March, our journey started in January. So Mm. in the second, in the first two weeks of January, I was actually in China visiting our team there. We do a huge celebration every year uh, for Lunar New Year, Chinese New Year, and we we have Mm -hmm. a big banquet. We actually invite all the families of our employees, and it's this massive kind of gala that we do, which is one of the events I look forward to. And um, my wife actually got to come with me for the first time uh, uh, to this. So we were in China for those two weeks, and, you know, there was this kind of, you know, early signs that, you know, there's a, a virus that's starting to really catch a lot of headwinds in China, you know, coming out of Wuhan. And and I remember that we actually changed our flights to fly out of Hong Kong versus Guangzhou um, due to some of the, the air travel restrictions that were starting to pick up. Um, and so we, we came back to the U.S. Uh, and obviously our colleagues in China went uh, uh, directly into lockdown, you know, right, right, right as uh, Chinese New Year was hitting. We actually had three employees that were in Wuhan that, you know, got quarantined for several months wow. in their in their apartments with their whole whole families. And they're working the whole time on Zoom. I mean, we gave a lot of yeah. flexibility to them. Uh, and these, and, and so what happened, you know, the, the, there's some amazing stories and, and one of them that really, you know, stuck out to me was the empathy that our teams had for each other. And mm. so as in February that, you know, China just went through this massive wave, 
our whole U.S. team stepped up and they were supporting and taking out workload and helping, you know, actually work, you know, uh, China hours for them and and all wow. these things. And and then what happened is as the U.S., as it started to come to the U.S. in, in March and April our, and, and China started to, to open back up in, in April, our China team and, and and APAC team started stepping up for our U.S. team and working U.S. hours and taking on workload and and you know actually sending you know uh, PPE at the time to to the U.S. to all of our colleagues here and just watching you know as a founder and a CEO to see mm-hmm. um, we have this key trait at Fictive called compassion for others getting to see this compassion cross border cross culture for the teams. It was mm-hmm. really an inspiring moment as a, as a leader to, to get to be a part of this organization. Yeah, definitely. I think that says a lot too about how you lead your organization because sometimes in times of crisis, people kind of want to give up or step mm-hmm. back. And I think that that says a lot that everyone took the responsibility to step forward and help each other out. So um, you must feel really proud of that then because I don't think every company felt like that when they first figured out what they were going through. No, I, I think you, you know, as a, as a founder, you know, I've met a lot of peers where they talk about product, product, product. What is it that mm-hmm. I'm building? How do I, how do I make a better product for our customers? You know, my mantra is if you're focused on product, it's not the right input. It's actually people. If you focus mm-hmm. on people, 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 your people build the product and that product is what serves the customer. And that's the pain in how to change the industry. And mm-hmm. so our, our foundation for the business has always been, how do we empower people to do the best work to say, hey, this is the best foundation to do the best work of your career. And so mm-hmm. whether they're here for for a year or they're here for for 10 years, um, we want to build a foundation. And I, I think we've you know, that's one of the keys to our success for why we've been able to have the impact in this industry is it's just it's an amazing group of people that care deeply, not just about our customers and our product but about our, our internal team as well. And that, that compassion goes a long ways. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's definitely unique to your story and why we were so excited, both Doug and I, to be able to interview and kind of understand more like what some of the challenges were and how you were able to overcome them in such impressive ways and get great results. So I'm kind of curious, can you talk about, you know, what were some of the most immediate challenges that overwhelmed you and needed your attention and maybe kind of talk a little bit about how you approach them in a way that if our listeners, you know, are maybe currently going through those challenges or recently did that they could look back on it and say, okay, I could have done this differently or I can do this different in the future. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, at Fictive, what we do is we write uh, software that connects all of this idle or extra capacity globally in the manufacturing space. So imagine you have a machine in a factory that's not running. How do we allow an engineer working at Honeywell in, in Phoenix, Arizona to order from that idle machine that's in China or maybe that's in Texas or wherever? Mm. And so when the pandemic hit, remember, we're coming off of actually a, a global trade war. And before that, there's tsunamis in Japan. And so there's all there's been all this disruption in supply chain. But to have, you know, force majeure followed then by, you know, a global trade war between the U.S. and China and then adding a pandemic on top, supply chain constraints or really the lack yeah. of agility. It was like this was the perfect storm. It was, you know, it just all those things coming together. And so for us, the 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 P zero, the priority zero on this was 
how do you keep the uptime of our customers to make sure they get their product on time with no delays? Mm. And so, you know, I told the story that, that we were in China, our, our APAC team got hit first. And actually what happened is we moved almost 30% of our production out of China and reshored it back to the U.S., to India, and to Taiwan. And in that motion, because of this digital ecosystem we run, we only lost three production days. Like, I want you to think about that, like three days of downtime, that was it. And so that agility to be able to do it, I think was a testament to the business model that we, mm-hmm. you know, we created almost 10 years ago. Um, and then the reverse happened where then as APAC came back online and then, and then the U.S. got hit, we actually moved that production back to APAC to support and it moved down to one day of downtime. And so mm-hmm. if you just think about this agility, I think we actually start to look like an AWS, right? That like, mm-hmm. okay, you know, West 2 goes down because there's a power outage or, you know, uh, a storm hits, you know, Oregon. Okay, cool. We just, we, we move our load to East and, you know, and, and that, that center. And, but those are, you know, bits, right? We're just, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's bits that are running. We're moving atoms of producing parts, but in a digital thread. Um, and so I think that this agility of moving, moving back and forth, you know, same thing, India, we have a, a sizable team in India as well and, and production and, you know, where our hearts go out to, to those folks right now. And mm-hmm. we're, we're doing everything we can to support them, but we've moved production out of India and spread it in other areas of, of APAC. And so this playbook, you know, I, I, I wish I, I could have been as smart as, you know, Bill Gates to say, Hey, in 2015, there's going to be a pandemic that hits. Let's prepare. We definitely didn't know this when we built the company, you know, almost 10 years ago. Yeah. But I think, uh, preparedness, you know, uh, allowed us to, to respond. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I think a really, um, a really, uh, uh impactful way. Mm-hmm. And it sounds too like you weren't afraid to take some risks. I mean, I would imagine changing your production to another country um, very quickly like that. Um, you may have had to make some sacrifices or take some risks and wonder how that would turn out. But I think and it sounds like taking that move right away was obviously the right choice if you only lost three production days, which is insane. Um, so congratulations to your team and whoever <laughs> moved all that. I mean, holy cow. And I, Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I think that, you know, on that risk is really – you know, a, a function of, of how well do you understand, you know, the system or what's going on. And, mm-hmm. and FICT is built on two major pillars, technology plus manufacturing operations. It's really, mm-hmm. it's a, it's a, it's a, a two heads in, in that way. And so the manufacturing operations, you build SOPs, standard operating procedures, and you're, you're executing against these SOPs. Mm-hmm. On the technology side, you're building agility into the system to be able to to move quickly. And so, you know, I don't actually see it as risk is what we did, but we had to, we had to apply strong business process that we knew, but think about it in a different way. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, some examples of this is we, you know, we, we actually had a, uh, a, a quality center where parts would flow through physically and our quality team in the U S would, would check all of these uh, products that are coming in before they went to our customers. And so we had a standard operating procedure for how we do that. It, you know, it was written down, it's SOPs documented. In one month, our engineering team took that set of processes and digitized the whole thing. 
We took our whole quality process. They took photos, measurements, data, and they said, we are going to do remote quality control industry first, and we're going to do it all digitally in a dashboard. Basically think of like an air control uh, tower. Mm-hmm. And, and we, you know, we thought we'd go back to, to having that distribution center in the U.S. again after the pandemic let up. Our quality metrics went up. We actually saw better on-time delivery and less defects because of this technology implementation than when mm. we did and we were physically looking at them. Um, mm. And so you could say, hey, we took a risk to, to not physically check these. But because you had strong business process, those SOPs and world-class technology, you actually improved the outcome, which was on-time delivery and, and a reduction in defects, um, which I, I think is you could call it risk, but really I see it's improvement. You're, you're improving yeah. this ecosystem. That, uh, yeah, that makes complete sense, too. And, you know, as you were saying that, I had like a million questions coming up in my head where I was like, OK, <laughs> Doug would know exactly how to explain this. So. Doug, you've been with us on several episodes as our AWS expert. Um, Doug has been around the world visiting customers and helping them define their industry 4.0 journey. And, you know, one thing I think that would be important to understand for our audience is that, you know, as Dave mentions all of this progress that they've made and moving production and that agility. Can you explain or just kind of summarize what would be the basic technology requirements to do that? Um, Because if I am a manufacturing or industrial business, I'd like to do the same. Can you kind of explain like, what is the absolute baseline? Do I have what's in place to do something like that? Yeah, I think what, you know, if you look at what Fictive has done, they've really done a really powerful job of getting a single view of all of the manufacturing endpoints. So how do you have an endpoint in Asia, an endpoint in China, part of Asia, endpoint all over the place that all of a sudden you can understand the, the, the uptime of that machine, you can understand the quality of that machine pushes out from that standpoint, and you can say, okay, customer who's wanting to make this next product, it's actually better for this machine over there than for that machine over here. And you can really start to help doing some of that balance with that. What is that? That is, I mean, the Uber answer, it's a data lake. And it's a data lake mm-hmm. that goes from edge analytics front to a you know edge to cloud, cloud to edge type of capability. So we can grab the data off of that machine. We can look at all of those parameters and those results integrate into the you know standard operating procedures that Dave was just describing. And then also look at that for that next phase of, here's the proposal where it should be going. And that proposal then starts to include, you know, how do I get it there in time? So again, just like AWS, when you place an order on AWS, first we have to find out where the product is, i.e. in fictive space, where should we produce it? So maybe we have three choices. Maybe, you know, of those three choices, we then look at how do you deliver it? Well, am I going to deliver it over air or ship or truck and the cost implementation of all of those and putting all of those parameters in place is is really where the power starts to come to play of all of those data sources, all of that delivery mechanism. And then to be able to integrate that as you start to go forward is really a very powerful message that I think Fictive brings to play here. I think the one thing that Dave probably hasn't mentioned is not all those locations are Fictive locations, right? It's partners and it's other people who are part of this ecosystem that say, "I've I've got extra capacity. I've got time. I've got. I want to be able to go in and do bidding for these type of things. 
which really changes the fundamental of manufacturing. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really cool thing that Fictive has done is build that ecosystem of manufacturing, not just your plants, but everybody's plants now become part mm-hmm. of this platform as you go forward. So Dave, I think it'd be interesting to kind of click into that a little bit of how that ecosystem of, you know, I, I almost call it the ecosystem of spare capacity comes to play. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good way to put yeah. it. I mean, the way we think about it, and you're, you're totally right, is that we actually don't own a single machine. We're asset zero. So like all of this is tying into really a, an Uber type model. The difference is, is that we think about having a small, highly vetted network of manufacturing partners versus a, a large marketplace. So think about like Alibaba as a massive marketplace or think about Uber that it's like in Bangladesh, it's bikes and in New York cities, it's cars. And, you know, I think there's actually like Uber boat and Uber plane, you know, that it's like we think about it as the small ecosystem, uh, a highly vetted managed ecosystem. And then what the ecosystem is built up of is what we call our three P's. The first is our platform. So that's what Doug just talked about. It's all the technology that we write. It's all of the, mm-hmm. the nodes that we're connecting that runs on AWS uh, and the data that's really rich. That's the first aspect of the, the ecosystem. The second aspect is our partners. So these are all the mm-hmm. end nodes, the edge that is the manufacturing partners. We don't call them suppliers because they are partners. They integrate with our technology. They have available capacity, they are doing the actual execution of building that metal part, that plastic part, you know, any any of those things. Um, and it's a deep partnership with them. And the third, which I think is the most important part of this ecosystem, is our people. So mm-hmm. unlike, uh, uh, you know, a, an Uber, we actually have fictive employees that are inspecting quality within these partners. We have fictive employees that are doing the logistics management of actually, does it go on a boat or a train or a plane uh, to get to the end customer? We have fictive manufacturing engineers that are monitoring the the design for manufacturing, the DFM. Mm -hmm. And so this ecosystem is run by people, but they have like these superpowers, like high leverage, uh, because of the partners and because of the platform. So the way I always describe this to a, 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 chief, a CPO, a chief procurement officer, or a COO, a, a chief operating officer, is think about the team that you've built of strategic mm-hmm. sourcing managers, supply quality engineers, procurement specialists. I have those people at Fictive. Mm-hmm. But the difference between your people and mine is they have superpowers. So if your people can only manage five suppliers because they're, they're doing it in email and PowerPoint and, and, and whatever business tools, mine can do 500. And the reason they can do 500 is because of these tools. That's the platform. And because of these vetted partners, which is, is that, and that's really why it's an ecosystem. We talk about fictive is we've built the, the, the best, highest quality digital manufacturing ecosystem because mm-hmm. of these pillars. Um, and at the end of the day, we are responsible for delivering parts that go on planes, uh, mm-hmm. medical devices that are going to get implanted into you, uh, all the way to like electric toothbrushes that keep Doug's teeth clean, you know, every day. So, um, you know, we, we have a high degree of responsibility and it's this ecosystem that, that delivers that. 
That's incredible. And I love that you put it together with three P's. That makes it really easy to understand, too. And I think a lot of times, you know, within the manufacturing space, we think a lot about the outputs and the machinery and the robotics that can help. But I mean, I love that you focus more on the people who are innovating and the people who are operating this to, you know, keep that high standard. I think that's something a lot of people can learn from. So really excited to learn more about, you know, specifically maybe some examples or something. Um, You know, was there a time during this where you were faced with a really tough decision maybe um, and you had to make a tough decision and you chose to prioritize your people or your partners um, or your platform? Can you talk a little bit about like, you know, how that framework um, influenced your decisions during this? Yeah, you know, we, so I'll give you a bit of background on where I come from, because I think that will help articulate sure. and answer your question. So I'm a, yeah. I'm a mechanical engineer from Stanford. I, I, you know, studied what's called mechatronics, so mechanical electrical systems. My career, you know, really the, the, uh, I would say that the foundation is an automotive. So I was at mm. Ford building dashboards, infotainment systems prior, uh, to, to starting fictive. And so, my, my DNA is that of an engineer and that, you know, from the automotive uh, space. And so when we built the company, we actually, I think as any good engineer, we said, what are the, what are we actually trying to affect and change here? And we said that there's two simple metrics that we boiled this entire ecosystem down that we wanted to change. And we said mm-hmm. that we wanted to be able to do things at a hundred X the speed and a 10th the cost. These are simple operating metrics, but they have huge implications for how you serve your customers, where you invest technology, how you build the partner network. So this 100x the speed and the 10th the cost really, I think, helps answer the question that you're asking of saying, okay, let's say that I want to invest in bringing a new country online, or let's say that I want to put this piece of technology in. The first question my team asks themselves is, well, am I going to be able to do things 100x faster than the traditional solution today? Or am I going to be able to remove and do this at a tenth of the cost? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'll give you an example of this. You know, we said that we want to go build the world's best service for doing high quality CNC machining. And this is, you know, no small feat. We want to be able to deliver complex machined parts that is like, the breaking edge of what we can do with physics. Um, but we didn't just want to say, cool, I offer this, and so does Foxconn, and so does JBill, and so does this. We had to do it a 100 times faster and at a tenth the cost. And so when we started to build this offering, we said, well, where can I apply technology to either add speed or to remove cost? But in the early days, you know, you don't just snap your fingers and the technology does all the work. You actually have to put people in first to build those SOPs, and mm-hmm. then you got to go develop technology to actually give them superpowers. And so you put a lot of people on, and in day one of that innovation, actually it's a it's an SOP people run. So yes, mm-hmm. maybe you're doing things faster, but it's definitely not a tenth the cost. That's a trade off. That's a hard call. You're investing here. And then you're looking at your technology partners over here at Fictive and saying, you better remove costs. Like you better now give these people superpowers so that we can scale on this. Because otherwise, as I put, you know, 10 orders a day, 100 orders a day, 1,000 orders a day, 10,000 orders a day, you either will have to add one person, 10 people, 
thousand people, 10,000 people, or you add one person, two person, three people, four people, and that's a scale factor. Mm. And so at Fictive, we are a technology business, not a manufacturing, a traditional contract manufacturer. So we rely on writing technology to actually drive that efficiency. Because remember, we always have a person in the loop. We have people. Um, but the technology is what, you know, streamlines that workflow. It's, it's what, mm-hmm. you know, adds the efficiency in. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that that's how we think about our investments um, for where will we apply technology next? It comes back to, is it 100x the speed or do mm-hmm. I get a tenth, the, uh, a tenth the cost? And those become strong operating principles. Yeah. Do you think that those operating principles would apply to a smaller manufacturer um, with maybe limited locations? I think 100%. I mean, look at if you look at the manufacturing world, and I'm sure Doug, you know, can think about this from from the conversation he has. There's all this conversation about robotics. Well, why are you putting robotics in? Are you doing it to replace labor? That's almost never the case. Are you doing it because you're augmenting? Usually. Okay, well, if you put a robotic system in, what is the output or what's the benefit you're going to see? Are you increasing yield? Are you getting more data out of this so you can make better decisions on maintenance or these things? Um, I would push to the the manufacturers of what are your operating principle metrics and what is it that you're trying to change? And then if you look at automation, you know, whether you're putting in software and technology or you're looking at putting in physical assets like robotics or IoT or edge edge compute machine, you know, maintenance, what are the operating metrics that you're trying to drive as a result? And I think that the best businesses, and it doesn't matter if you're a 10 person shop or you're running a hundred thousand person manufacturing uh, plant or or facility, um, understanding these operating metrics, I have seen time and time again that the people that understand that and know what they want to move have better outcomes than the folks that are saying, you want to know it? We got to do industry 4.0. I got to, I got to go in and put IOT in. I got (laughs) to, I got to get edge data off my machine. And I'm yep. like, well, why do you want to do that? And I think, you know, slowing down sometimes to have those those operating metrics or principles mm-hmm. actually allows you to speed up on the mm-hmm. on the back end. That um, clear goal that everyone's working towards, too, not just, hey, let's put in devices and see what happens. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, Doug, I'm sure you can talk to this, but, you know, it's like yeah. the, the the vortex or the death of pilots. You know, it's just like, let's do pilots to the cows come home. And it's like, well, what are we? What are what's the outcome here, y'all? Like, mm-hmm. what are we what are we actually trying to get at? Yeah, at first it started as buzzword bingo. So it's it's you know <laughs> industry 4.0, digital transformation, smart factory, connected factory. Keep going from there. You know, then it was technology buzzword bingo. Is it IoT? Is it AI? Is it ML? Is it AIoT? Because now there's that whole thing. Is it IIoT? <laughs> is it you know? It gets really confusing and. A lot of times when I work with customers, um, I try and say, it doesn't matter what the technology is. What are you trying to do? You know, you know, mm. audit, you know we picked on robotics a moment ago, and I think the, the, the key for robotics for a lot of customers is a repeatable capability to improve quality functions, right? And be able to track that information. So, you know, if I take the electronics space, a lot of the electronics are still made by human beings and hands. Mm-hmm. Well, you can't do a strain gauge on your hands. So if I need to push <laughs> a little bit harder on a DIM insertion as I'm, I'm building a server or a laptop or your iPad or whatever electronic device you have at home, 
I might scratch the dim. I might do something to it, but that may not be in effect till six months, eight months, 12 months later. But with the robotics, you can basically understand I had to put three more pounds of pressure on this insertion, which potentially could have an effect down the road. And that's mm. huge when you start looking at the customer experience, the quality aspects that start to grow into there. And, that, and that's what we're seeing from a robotic standpoint. Not just, it's not about human labor. It's about the data that we can't get from that manual process. I think, I think most people know, but human beings are analog. I think, I think everybody would agree sure? with that comment. I, 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 I think so. I think that's true. <laughs> and, you know, and it's kind of hard to get that data off of a person. And, you know, we always say that data doesn't lie. And, you know, it, I'm not going to say people do lie, but data doesn't lie. And you can track it and you can really understand all of the force uh, issues as you start to go forward. So it's it's mm -hmm. an interesting aspect when you start looking at it from from that angle versus mm -hmm. you know is it a human resources play i don't think it is um and, and i you know i try not to say you know put a robot in is going to eliminate four jobs because it actually will probably add jobs because now you have yep, to understand yep. what is the robot doing how is it changing my process what's going from this standpoint um it's just a different type of job as you start to go forward mm -hmm. absolutely and you know i think that if we look at the bigger picture here too it's um it it shows the resilience that you've built dave with your company um and it shows the agility that your leaders have implemented for their teams as well um because it's you know it's more than just covid i i kind of look at this too as you know there's probably going to be another disaster within the next 10 years. Who knows what it'll be? What if there's a hurricane that comes and destroys your plant? Disasters are bound to happen. This just happens to be one that kind of came as a big winning. canal or something like that <laughs> exactly. instead of the Suez. Yeah. So. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so I, I want to look at this too now from a little bit more of a future facing perspective, you know, if you can't anticipate what disasters are going to happen, can you maybe talk a little bit about, you know, what you've learned after facing this pandemic and how you will be more prepared for, um, you know, what could happen next or that could be unexpected? Yeah, I think that you, you asked some great questions here because the things that we the things that we've seen in the past, we should look towards the future to say, how will this guide us, you know, going going forwards? I think what happened during the pandemic, because we were coming off, you know, force majeure situations, global trade wars, you know, to a pandemic, is that you took supply chain chain issues, which were primarily a functional issue prior. You know, it was like it was if you were in operations or in supply chain or in procurement, you know, you always were dealing with uh, issues around resiliency and 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 agility in supply chain. What happened through the pandemic is it went from a functional issue to a C-level issue, all of a sudden your CFO, your CEO, all these folks cared about it to a board-level issue that boards were asking, like, why is revenue not hitting? Okay, you click down and it's because of a supply chain issue. It's because of, you know, a pandemic or whatever. And then it hit consumers, you know, front and center. I couldn't order toilet paper. I I, have, I can't lease a car because, you know, there's chip shortages. I, mm. I, you know, can't, you know, all the way to the, the, the consumer started feeling it. And so I think as a result, you know, supply chain leaders, operations leaders, 
know that you have to think differently. You have to do things differently. And actually, you know, in our in our state of manufacturing, this was our sixth report we ever did or six year in a row that we've done it. Almost 70 percent of the leaders, there was 250 executives across the U.S. that we interviewed said that improving their supply chain resilience was their number one priority this year followed by NPI, new product introduction and sustainability. But that that supply chain really resiliency is the number one thing. Mm-hmm. And so I think that you can definitely see that the way that we've done things in the past is not how we're going to do it going forwards. And and interesting enough, we track in the in these in the state of manufacturing report six years in a row of how is the adoption of on demand manufacturing uh, changing. Um, and, and how are people looking, looking at this? And we saw the highest number of executives, 84% this year, report that their organizations are leveraging on-demand manufacturing. And, mm-hmm. and remember, the, who we surveyed was not our customers. It was an independent research by a firm saying to a, a broad base of executives across U.S. in product development, 84% said that they're leveraging on-demand. Not just fictive, but other solutions. And so mm-hmm. I think the world is starting to see that there is a different way to do production uh, mm-hmm. for physical parts. Um, we're seeing that in public markets today with SPACs and IPOs and, and you know, a lot of, a lot of movement in the, the supply chain world. Um, and I think that supply chain leaders are waking up and saying, hey, you know, my buyers and procurement just clicking buttons and, you know, in SAP or Oracle or whatever to go release a PO to make something in India, this isn't going to work anymore. Like we need to have better traceability, better transparency, more agility in my ecosystem. Um, and, and I think digital is the answer there. Uh, and so I think we're seeing a lot of, a lot of innovation happen in a very short amount of time that, you know, maybe without the pandemic would it take what it took a decade to, to realize mm-hmm. that innovation. So we're definitely seeing a c- compression of innovation happen here, which um, I'm super excited and encouraged by. I, I think some of it, I think some of it is not just the, com- the compression of in- innovation, but compression of some of the basics. You know, like you said, how, how do I, how do I automate my ordering system? Why do I need human beings entering lot size of one enter? on a PC, you know, don't need that anymore. You know, that can be a, a script in the background that I just use the product. Guess what? Place an order for a new one and, you know, start yep. building that system in place. You know, like I said earlier, we've been talking about IOT for years and we've been talking about all these other things for a long time. Now I think the pandemic highlighted that these concepts, these ideas, these technologies are helping businesses change are helping with that resiliency capability from a uptime and you know remote capabilities as some of the basic things which i think we've been talking about probably since our you know the 20 to the the year 2000 bug right i mean <laughs> you know we yep. said hey implement these things and also you can do these other things as you start to go forward so i, th- I think i'm seeing customers really looking back and going we've been saying we need to do this now we actually have to do this Totally. Absolutely. And, you know, part of the reason that I love doing this podcast is um, 
thinking about the people who feel inspired by these ideas and messages that want to bring this back to their own organization um, and share this with their teams, share this with the executive leaders. So, Dave, can you give some advice to someone who maybe resonates with these big ideas and realize, you know what, we have been talking about doing this and we haven't, and they may be the change agent in their organization. How would you recommend that they approach um, various leaders and, you know, how do you communicate that to get everybody on board? Yeah, well, I think first and foremost, timing is always critical when you're doing mm -hmm. this. And I would say now as there's never been a better time to say that we need to focus on digital or we need to focus on driving true resiliency into our, our supply chain. You know, I came from Ford, you're always a small cog in a big wheel, no matter what your title is in that. Mm -hmm. And so I think that no matter who is listening, you can be a change agent. I think that's the most important thing is that you can be a champion for this change. So mm -hmm. the question becomes, if now's the time, what do I do? How do I get my organization to think about it? There's some, you know, really great uh, white papers, I would say that, you know, I know both Doug's team and AWS puts out on, on this. We have similar uh, white papers that really focus on what we call the economic value model or what is the what is the dollar impact to your organization by adopting digital by implementing resiliency and so we actually walk you through when we say you know how much revenue do you do in your product line what type of delays are you seeing how big is your team if you shifted to a digital how how much quicker could you realize revenues what would your product yield you know increase to and so i would say we can definitely help build that argument i think uh uh for you um, the, the third thing that I would say is focus on those metrics that I talked about is mm -hmm. what are the metrics that your organization cares about that you believe you can affect effective at the hundred X of speed and the 10th of the cost. So my employees know that like, if they have a new project, they want to go implement and drive innovation, they're going to come and say, look, the reason we should go invest here is because we're going to see this speed or this cost savings. And it's like, those become really clear parameters for any individual, you know, from from whoever's onboarding employees all the way to like my chief architect to really empower driving change in the organization. Um, and so I would leverage those pillars that, you you know, everybody has in their companies to say, um, how are you, you know, how can you go go bring a proposal forward? So um, hopefully those are some some good actionable tips that people can take to to drive, you know, true resiliency and, and drive digital in your organization. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that you said no matter where you are in the organization, um, I think that that's really important to everybody that's listening, especially if they're, you know, feeling inspired by these ideas and do want to make those changes. And Doug, I'm sure you might have some thoughts too. You've seen, you know, several customers and some really successful manufacturers go through significant digital transformations. Um, from your perspective, how have you seen them communicate those initiatives in their organization? Have they shared that with you and learned anything that you want to share? Yeah, I think a lot of times, you know, I've walked into, you know, COO's office and he's got a list of 300 things he wants to do or not, not wants to, has to do is probably the right way to put it because, you know, you've got a plant manager coming in, you've got the CEO coming in, you've got all these different people that need these type of things because it's speed or cost savings, the you know, same type of thing that Dave's talking about. And a lot of times it's getting the basics right. You can do a moonshot of trying to build the digital twin of your operations, but 
again, that's a buzzword. Why do you want it? What's the value of mm. building that digital twin? And what is the, the resources that need to be put in place, step A, B, and C, to be able to get that digital twin of your operations as you go forward? So many times it's working with customers to say, Let, let's work backwards to what's the first thing that you kind of need to put in place to make this happen. Um, mm. And I think that that's the basic sometimes is just getting those correct and taking taking that step back and pausing, breathing, looking at the basics, and then you can run fast. And the, the other thing that I recommend is, you know, one of, part of my job, part of the fun part is getting people to talk to each other. So, <laughs> hey, company A did this over here. You know what? You've got a very similar issue. Let's go talk with them. I was just mm. uh, speaking with a customer a couple days ago, and their, their, their issue is their employees are not digitally native. I don't know mm. many who are, right? They're, you know, workers are very analog, maybe use digital machines, but they're not cloud native, digital native. So they're like, how do we build an education course to do that? And I said, well, great. Here's an example of what customer X did on a X university. And what they're doing is if you're a worker, you can now put your hand up and say, I want to be able to learn robotics. I'm going to learn AI and ML. And the company is willing to help either fund that or build the program to allow you to move forward. And I think mm -hmm. that's what we need to start thinking about is, again, it goes back to the workers and where are the workers going to be in two years, three years, four years. They're not going away. We need to help them get into that next level of job enrichment, job capability. And again, we've got people who have done that. We can make those interactions and have people talk instead of rebuilding this on your own and starting from what you think of as a scratch as you start to move forward. Absolutely. I think that's some great advice. I learned so much from uh, you and Dave every time I talk to you guys. So it's it's really been such a pleasure to be able to you know hear your story and understand your thought process. And I really hope that anybody that listens to this, you know, gets some new ideas and can take this back to their coworkers and inspire them to make some changes as well. So um, before we wrap up, my very last question for you, Dave, do you have any closing thoughts or anything that you maybe wanted to mention and forgot to? Um, we want to give you a chance to share that before we um, finish up here today. No, I just, you know, I love talking about this topic anywhere from people and the passions that folks have that drive this mm -hmm. innovation all the way to the digital transformation. And so AWS has been a fabulous partner for us, Doug. We, I'm always, uh, love our conversations and how we get to, uh, reimagine what the future can look like in this blend and hybrid of, of, you know, software and digital meeting manufacturing operations. It's just ripe for disruption. So thank you for, for the thought leadership, Doug, that you do here and excited to, excited to see what we, uh, what we can do together with the collective audience that's listening in. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to AWS Industrial Insights. If you want to learn more about today's episode, head over to the blog for a list of featured resources on this topic. You can also find today's blog in the episode description and also on our website at aws.amazon.com slash industrial slash podcast. 